Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 12, 7, Proverbs 28, 13, and 14 says, He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Bethel is the place of new beginnings. Bethel, it's the, it's, it's the house of God. It's a place of a new start. It's a place of a do-over. And God is the God not only of second chances and third chances and 72nd chances, but he'll, every time you want to start over, every time you want to meet with God, it's a chance for a fresh start. Abram needed cleansing and he needed a new start. Do you? Do you need to go back to that place of that original altar? One writer that we were reading this week in a pastor's meeting said, in the third commandment, God warned his people not to take his name in vain. By this, he does not mean just avoiding profanity. More than that, he is saying, don't take my name upon yourself. Don't claim to be my follower if you're not going to live like one of mine. Listen to this. If you take his name on your lips as who you say you are, and if your behavior consistently betrays that confession, then it is vain or empty. Don't take his name in vain. Look at it this way. It could mean profanity, but to take his name in vain means you have his name on your lips, but it's a vain confession. You take his name on your lips, but there's no substance behind it, so it is vain or empty because you save the name of God, but the life behind it is not backing it up. Are you with me? We're not talking about, we're not talking about perfection here, but we're talking about trying to get to a place of consistency, and Abram has already had his issues. Halfway obedience as he went to Haran instead of going all the way down into the promised land. Um, now he's paid the price for another faith lesson, and I'm sure his wife had to build trust in him again. Can you imagine that walk back to the promised land? You told me to do what? <laughs> got me in the, harrow, the harem of this pharaoh. We got problems. <laughs> we need to talk. I'm sure there needed to be some trust rebuilt in that relationship. But they moved forward by faith, and now the camera pans to Lot. Now Lot, verse 5, chapter 13, who went with Abram, and Lot was his nephew, also had flocks and herds and tents. Everybody blossomed in Egypt. Even with all the shenanigans that went on, things were added to them. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together. For their possessions, verse 6, were so great that they were not able to remain together. So here they are back in this area of Bethel. And now there's lots of flocks and lots of herds. And the question becomes, who's going to get the pasture land? And who's going to be first at the drinking well? And, and this creates problems. And, you know, in life, sometimes we think that 
if we can just win the lottery, if we can just increase our net worth, our possessions, then things will improve. But the material prosperity that happened to both these gentlemen brought issues. Issues between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot. The land could not sustain them. Their possessions were so great and there was strife. Look at verse seven. The word strife in Hebrew is the word reeb. It means a contest, controversy, dispute, quarreling. It speaks of contention, an opponent, an adversary. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite, the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land, and I think that addition simply means that they also were using the resources of the land. So it's not just Abram and Lot, but it's other people groups that are taking the resources of the land. But think of it this way as well. The Canaanite and the Perizzite were also watching Abram and Lot, who were supposed to represent who? The God of Israel. And I wonder what they thought as they saw the squabbles between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot. There was strife between them. Jesus prayed, and the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, John 17, 22 and 23, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and did love them even as thou did love me. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter four? Hold your place in Genesis. Ephesians chapter four. Look at verse three. Unity is something that's so important and it's something that we have to try to preserve. Even though it is something that comes from being in the body of Christ, it doesn't always continue easily. Look at Ephesians four verse three. It says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. I want you to count how many times you find the word one here. Ephesians 4.4. 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. There is verse five, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. How many ones did you count there? There's seven. Seven is the number of perfection or completion. Isn't it interesting? God wants us to be complete in unity. But we've got to fight for it. We've got to endeavor to preserve it. What are some ways that you think that we preserve unity? I would say making sure we extend forgiveness and grace regularly to each other. I would say preserving unity includes overlooking faults. Love covers a multitude of personality <laughs> traits. <laughs> That's not the exact rendering of the verse, but you know what I'm saying. We've got to learn that to throw the blanket over things that bug us because the things that bug us about others it probably, things that you do bug them as well. So love is supposed to operate in these ways. Love is 
the thing that holds it all together. In fact, a little later in, um, oh, I think it's in, in Colossians, it, it says that love is what uh, binds it all together in unity. But the love of money is the root, not money, but the love of money is the root of what? All sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have pierced themselves through with many a pang. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and perseverance, and gentleness. So there's going to be a problem between Abram and Lot, and it's going to be about possessions. It's going to be about who's first and whose animals get taken care of. And they're going to take their eyes off, at least Lot's going to, they're going to take their eyes off God's promises. In rapid fire, these are Proverbs. These are for you to go back and check, but listen to these words. Proverbs 10, 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Proverbs 13, 10 says, through presumption comes nothing but strife, but with those who receive counsel is wisdom. Proverbs 15, 18 says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger pacifies contention. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Proverbs 17, 1 says, better is a dry morsel and quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Proverbs 17, 14 in the NIV says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out or before... Uh, you have strife. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips bring strife, and his mouth calls for blows. There's some people that you just say, I just feel like slugging that person. Can you say that as a Christian? I don't, I don't know. But a fool tries to get under your skin, and they kind of egg you on sometimes. Proverbs 20, verse 3 says, Keeping away from strife is an honor for a man, but any fool will quarrel. It's an honor of a person when you keep away from strife. Proverbs 28, 25 says, An arrogant man stirs up strife, but one who trusts in the Lord will prosper. And Proverbs 30, 33 says, For the churning of milk produces butter, and the pressing of the nose brings forth blood. So the churning of anger produces strife. Everybody turn to Proverbs 6. Proverbs chapter 6. So just Psalms and then Proverbs. There are six things which the Lord hates. Proverbs 6. You guys know there are things that God hates. Six things which the Lord hates. There's going to be actually seven here. There are six things which the Lord hates. 616 in Proverbs. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, Proverbs 6.17. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil, Proverbs 6.19. A false witness who utters lies and one who spreads strife among his brothers. Many times in the New Testament, strife and jealousy go hand in hand. This is Romans 13, 13. It says, let us behave properly as in the day, 
not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I want to tell you something about strife and jealousy. They are works of the flesh. When you see deeds of the flesh in your Bible, we automatically think about lists, 1 Corinthians 3. We think about lists that talk about sexual immorality and that kind of thing, and it's true. That's there. But do you know that strife and jealousy are just as much a deed of the flesh? If you're constantly, 1 Corinthians 3 is where you want to be, if you're constantly quarreling with people, if you're constantly jealous of other people, if you're constantly in strife, you're walking in the flesh. Just as much as a person who's in sexual sin. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual, as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to babes in Christ, carnal Christians. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it, and indeed, even now you are not able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and what? Strife among you. Are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For one says, I'm of, Apo- I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not mere men? Two characteristics of carnality are jealousy and quarreling. Jealousy is the attitude. Strife is the action. Jealousy is the attitude. I'm jealous of that person. I don't like what they have, that they have it and I don't. And strife is the action that comes out. You can see this in your children. Amen, parents? Why did he get that toy? Why did he get to be that guy? And all of a sudden, that was an attempt at a cat noise. Strife, jealousy, it comes out. Galatians 5, just go to your right a few pages. Pass up 2 Corinthians, you get to Galatians 5. Look at verse 19. There's the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but there's also the fruit of the flesh. Here's what it says. Galatians 5, 19. Now the deeds of the fruit of the flesh, 5, 19, are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now look at Galatians 5.20 and notice how many of these have to do with broken relationships. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Keep reading. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you know why the Bible says that? The Bible says that because it's evidence that if you habitually practice these things, you probably don't belong to Christ. If you are habitually in strife with people, and that becomes your testimony in the world, striving and quarreling. This person never can be pleased. They don't get along with anybody. There's a warning 
We normally don't apply it to strife and jealousy. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Would you turn back to Genesis chapter 13? Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? It's awesome, isn't it? (laughs) So... What do you do when a situation like this arises and herdsmen are arguing and fussing with each other and constantly you're getting the report, you know, coming into your tent? Lots of herdsmen are at the well in front of our... How many of you have people that come to you all day like this? You own a company, you're a parent. Abram's herdsmen are taking to the... They're taking the good grass. And I'm sure at some point it was like, oy vey. Can't we just all get along? (laughs) Abram, verse 8, chapter 13, Genesis, said to Lot, please. Let, you ever been here before? Please. Let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Unlike Cain, Abram saw himself as his brother's keeper. He said, we're brothers. You know, in the church, we could say the same thing. Please let there be no strife among us. We're brothers. The Hebrew could be rendered this way. I pray you that there be no strife among us, please. Blessed are the peacemakers. Look, you you do what you can to be at peace with all men, and sometimes it's impossible. Romans 12, 18 says, as much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all people. But do your part. If you've exhausted your part, that's when Romans 12, 18 becomes an escape hatch. As much as it depends upon you, but make sure you've done what you can to be a peacemaker. And here's Abram, this great giant of the faith. He's been given all these promises of God and he leads the way. He sets the example. He's the older man and it's appropriate that he brings an appeal of wisdom. How beautiful, how lovely, how wonderful it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Psalm 133. So Abram comes to him with the peace offering and he says, Is not the whole land before you please, I pray you, verse 9, separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. In in essence, Abram, with a second please, let there be peace among us, says, look, we need to solve this, and it's obvious that it's not working and the land can't sustain us, so You go right, I'll go left. You go left, I'll go right. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Abram shouldn't have had to do that. Lot should have done that. The older man who was leading the group and in charge of the whole group, Lot should have deferred to him. Lot should have come to his uncle and said, Uncle, thank you for all the blessings I've received by being part of your group here. It's obvious to me that the land cannot sustain us. I'm going to go. You, in fact, you choose, uncle. You choose where you want to go, and I'll go the other way. But Lot did not do that. 
And it gives me a little insight about Lot's character. And I'll say this to you. We know from 2 Peter that Lot was a righteous man. But that doesn't mean he was a perfect man. And just like Abram had his issues and his lack of faith and distrust in God and his lies that he told, so Lot was the same. And Lot should have deferred to the older of the family, but he did not do that. And that was inappropriate. And I just want to park here for a second and tell you, we have a lot to work on with the younger generation. We need to teach the younger generation how to shake a hand firmly. How to look somebody in the eye when you meet them. How to have basic manners. We're losing that, you guys. We're we're in a generation where we're coddling too many children. We need to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Do you agree? Teach them how to shake somebody's hand. Teach them how to be polite. Teach them how to look up from their phone and actually greet somebody. Now, I know we're all looking at our devices. I don't want a broad brush here, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Lot should have deferred to his uncle, but the uncle did it. And he said, look, you choose, and I'll go the opposite way. Don't merely look out for your own interests, Philippians 2 says, but look out for the interests of others. Don't just try to please yourself. Have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, though existing in very nature, God did not consider equality with God a thing to be held onto or grasped, but he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bondservant. He was made in the likeness of men, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross, and thus God, what? Highly exalted him. He gave him the name which is above every name. In the kingdom of God, when you defer, when you take the last place, even though you have rights, Abram could have said, you know what? I have rights here, Lot. You're the nephew, I'm the uncle. You defer to me, but he didn't do that. And in Abram, we see a type of Christ. The upside-down kingdom is you defer to others. You don't just look out for your own interests and you trust that God will bless you. And listen to this. I believe this is an indication that Abram learned his lesson from Egypt. Because instead of doing it and taking it upon himself to make the decision, he deferred. He trusted God with the results. He said, you choose, and I'm going to trust that God is going to lead me the way he would have me to go. And Lot lifted up his eyes, verse 10, Genesis 13, and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was like the garden of the Lord, like Eden. It was like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. One common thing about all these places, Sodom and Gomorrah, the Garden of Eden and the land of Egypt is they were all judged by God. <laughs> Just an interesting insight. And so Lot chose for himself. He looked upon the land, all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents where? As far as Sodom, 
Now, the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly. This phrase in Hebrew suggests that they were living a level lower than normal sinners, and they were sinners against the Lord. This place had a reputation way back in the day. Lot probably knew about the reputation, but he looked at the travel brochure, and it sure looked nice. (laughs) Green places, well-watered, Jordan Valley, beautiful, like compared to the Garden of Eden or the rich, beautiful places of Egypt near Zoar. And so he looked, but did he look with the eyes of faith? I don't think so. We'll say this in the message, but it's this. It's not just about us. It's not just about, hey, can I deal with what's going on in Sodom because I, I like the area or I like the, you know, the, the rolling hills or the lushness of the land. But what was going on in the city was debauchery. And Lot took his wife and his children there. And eventually we know what happens. Lot's wife ends up paying the price. She gets engulfed in the culture. Now, we don't really know much about her or what she was like prior to this move, but what we do know is that she got intoxicated by the culture and she looked back and, you know, her looking back probably means that she got consumed in the judgment. Here's the point. Men, let me address you for a second. We're leading our families and we need to be wise about moves that we make and areas that we go into and things that we allow even into our living room. Um, Keeping in mind that our families have to do the same struggle that we have to do with sin. They have to deal with it. And we need to be praying for a covering for them because we can't control everything we know. And, you know, those of us who live in California, we know that there's a lot of laws that have come down the pike that we don't agree with. And there's a lot of behaviors that we don't agree with. However, we need to take our stand and make sure we're covering our family in prayer and be wise about the moves that we make and keeping an eye on the kingdom. You know, Jesus will go on to say in Matthew 6 to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and he'll add all other all these other things unto us. So we should be making moves that are kingdom oriented, not me oriented, not you know just what I like with my eyes oriented, but kingdom oriented. Hey, speaking of Matthew 6:33, I want to remind you that we're launching a new Sunday night service and it is called 633. It's based on Matthew 633. And on these Sunday nights, starting on June 4th, we're just going to do it the first Sunday of each month. And we're going to tackle an apologetic subject or a special topic on that night. We'll be looking at cults and world religions and even special things that are going on or things of interest in the culture and bringing a Christian worldview to them. So if you've been listening to the broadcast for a while and you'd like a chance to visit the fellowship, come on out for 633. It launches on June the 4th, the first Sunday night of the month, and we would love, I would love to personally meet you. Information and directions can be found to come out to Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona at livingtruthradio.org. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.